Today, as I uh, talk to you about the best life, we come to a passage in uh, Philippians 2, verses 1 through 5, that I want to zero in on, and it's about unity in the body of Christ. And I've entitled it, Unity Brings Blessing, The Blessed Life, Living the Best Life is a Blessed Life, and, and Unity Brings Blessing. There's a great scripture in Psalm 133, it says this, how good and pleasant it is when brothers live together in unity. It's like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down upon the collar of his robes. It is as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion, for there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. Let me explain that scripture for just a moment, because that sounds weird. Oil poured on Aaron's beard. Aaron was the high priest. And it's talking about pouring oil on the high priest. And every high priest after Aaron had this, this ritual or this tradition uh, where they would pour oil. Oil was a sign of the Holy Spirit in those days. And it meant literally that this servant, this priest, would be anointed by the Holy Spirit, anointed by God. Not everyone had the Holy Spirit in those days. Uh, that, was, that was just one or a prophet here and there, and the Lord would pour his spirit out and touch people greatly. But when Jesus came, he left the Holy Spirit, and we all have that Holy Spirit anointing now, but not in that day. And so when the priest was anointed, they'd pour this oil on him, and it was, it was a sweet fragrance. It had been perfumed. And God was saying, wherever there's unity, I will make it a sweet and wonderful place where my Holy Spirit dwells. That's what this scripture is saying. So as we think of that as the body of Christ worldwide, and we think of that as the local body and the local flock right here at Horizon, wherever there's really unity among believers, His sweet presence dwells. That's not always the way it is, though. <clears throat> I read this week about Grove Street in one town. It was lined with, um, th th this street was lined with mature trees and manicured lawn and three churches right beside each other. First community church, second community church, and third community church. And one day the pastors of these three houses of worship uh, happened to meet on the sidewalk. And one of the pastors said to the others, maybe we need to define what we mean by community. Because sometimes uh, we, we are just at odds, you know, in the, in the body of Christ. And, and we can be just a terrible representation of what the Lord wants us to be. As a matter of fact, I would venture to say one of the main reasons that people don't come to Jesus in America is disunity in the body of Christ. And so God doesn't want that there and he doesn't want it in the local body either. He wants people to see the beauty of fellowship and the attraction of Jesus as we love each other. Let's pray and then I want to share a few points that are here in Philippians. Father, <clears throat> thank you so much for your word. It is truth that sets us free. It is rich, it is deep, and it works. Lord, help us to, um, to be united by the power of your Holy Spirit in love so that the world can see. I pray it in Jesus' name, amen. First point this morning, if we're gonna be the body of Christ, God wants us to agree with one another. Philippians 2.1, is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ, any comfort from his love, any fellowship together in the Spirit, are your hearts tender and compassionate then, in verse 2? Now, that first verse is basically saying, look, you are believers in Jesus Christ. You've been forgiven. The grace and the mercy of God has come to you. You feel his blessing on your life. 
And since you've been freely given all this, I'd like you to come together for the sake of other people finding this. The same love, grace, and mercy. And then verse 2 says, then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly. So there's the first point. Agree with one another. Loving one another, it says, and working together with one mind and purpose. The scriptures say to whom much is given, much is required. Well, we've been given a lot, haven't we? The grace of God for your life, you think about that. You think every one one of us are sinners who've fallen short of the glory of God. None of us deserved it on our own. We've been covered by the grace of Jesus Christ. We don't deserve it. And to whom much is given, much is required. So he says, I want you to keep the right spirit that the grace and mercy might come to others. Philippi, this church, I talked about it. It was birthed 10 years ago, or 10 years earlier, I should say. Uh, uh, Paul's writing, so it was 10 years previously that the church had started from the time he was writing this. And it was a great church, but apparently not a perfect church because they had some unity issues. There was a debate going on. If you skip to Philippians 4, verses 1 through 3, you'll see that there were these two ladies that were having major differences in the church. Yudia and Syntek. Yudia means fragrance and Syntek means fortunate. And they weren't really that sweet and it wasn't very fortunate what was happening in those days because something was going on where it was causing division in the church. Here it is in verse 2 of chapter 4. I plead with Yudia and I plead with Syntek to agree with each other in the Lord. So something happened to the point where they had to say, stop, please. I don't know what was going on. Perhaps one of the ladies thought their ministry was getting overlooked. As we talk about the local body, one of the things I'd like for us all to know, because some of you have had hold of titles and positions and ministries here for years, and some of you are just about to take hold of ministry positions here. As we move forward in this new day, there's new people coming forward. It's part of God's plan. But one of the things I'd like to caution you about, after 20 years of ministry and being around a bit, I see one of the huge mistakes that's made in a local body, and it's something like this. When people start to say, my ministry is the most important ministry in this church, that starts to become a problem. The key is the good of the whole, right? I mean, if you really love the church and you want the work of God to go forward, you're concerned about the whole, not just your little piece in the body of Christ. I think of Solomon when the two mothers were, you know, were brought forward and one of them said, cut the baby in half. I don't have time to tell the whole story, but you remember the story if you know that. And um, the real mother didn't want the baby to be hurt and she said, no, give it, give it to this woman. And Solomon said, now I know who the real mother is. Give it to this one who has care and concern. When you really care about a person or the body of Christ, you care about the whole, not just your little piece. A place where the love of God can be seen and experienced and not, you know, zero in on me and sh- look, at, look at my thing and why can't you see it as important? Maybe that's where Yudia and Syntec were. And they, it just got ugly and stupid. And people got hurt. 1 Corinthians 1 and 10 says this, I appeal to you, brothers, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another. Now, now, when it says agree with one another, and I, I say agree with one another, we mean unity, not unanimity. Unanimity means you must believe everything and see everything just as I do. 
Well, nobody has it all right. I mean, it, it, there's not one person in this world who has perfect theology, perfect understanding of the things of God. We're all trying to stay close to the Word of God, but, but unity is around the core essentials of the Scripture and not highlighting a few little petty differences to the point where we, we're, we just get ugly with one another. So we allow for different thought and we allow for expression of thought. When we say unity, it, it means that you can have a difference of opinion, but, you have, but with an agreeable heart for the good of the whole. Unanimity, nobody should dictate and say, you must do everything like I say. We're not talking about that. We're talking about unity. That there may be no divisions among you and that you may be perfectly united in mind and thought. That's what the scriptures say. I read a story. It's, it's supposedly true. It's unbelievable almost. There's a church in Mayfield County, Kentucky called the Anti-Peg Baptist Church. Now, when you see what a church name has in it, it tells you a lot about the church. Um, and when you start your church with the word anti as the first uh, word, something's not quite right already, no matter what comes next, right? In the late 1800s, true story, there was just two deacons in a small Baptist church in Mayfield County, Kentucky. And one Sunday, one of the deacons put up a small wooden peg in the back of the church wall there so the minister could hang his hat on it. When the other deacon discovered the peg was there, he was outraged because he hadn't been consulted. And before long, the church took sides and eventually split over the peg on the back wall and a new church was birthed for the glory of God called Anti-Peg Baptist Church. <laughs> that is just confusing to drive by and see the name. It's like, what? What did pegs ever do to you? You know, I mean, I don't, it doesn't make any sense. What happens is when we have little differences, we just, this may seem like a small thing, this is a big thing. Because there are things that you like that aren't necessarily... Um, uh, uh, they're, they're not necessarily principles of God's word, but they're just traditions you like and ministries you like and emphases you like. As a matter of fact, I find it interesting. I've been around for almost 20 years. So did you know you all have a main emphasis? Almost all of us have something. Someone has grace. Another has the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Another, uh, uh, another has uh, uh, you know, service. But every one of us have our inclination towards the thing that we like the best. And I notice that oftentimes, I've seen it cycle now through these 20 years, that people will come up to me when I spoke on their emphasis, the one they liked the best, and say, that was the best sermon you've ever preached. Because it, it that one was about grace, and, that, and another one was about the Holy Spirit. And so you tend to like the thing that, you know, the way you're wired, or the thing that you've been drawn to the most. And here's the deal, they're all good, and the whole counsel of God must be taught. But we have our preferences even beyond that. And we need to be careful not to let those little things stop us from having this beautiful aroma of God because of unity. I remember years ago, um, I, just, I just learned this story. You know, you think you know your parents and you get 52 and you hear a new story. And my, my dad just turned uh, 84 last week. And uh, so, so we're having him write down stories. We, we, we've done this with our parents. Write down stories from your youth just so we have them write little books almost so we can just remember everything. That's been very cool. Well, my dad told me a story that I'd never heard before. Some of you know that um, my dad was a preacher, but, but, and, you, and you probably heard that when mom and dad were young, they lost their first son, Eric Ray, 
at 22 months old in a fire. And my dad was a, um, a volunteer youth pastor at a church, but he'd had a little bit of differences with the senior pastor, and it was a pretty legalistic situation. I mean, they loved God, and everybody was trying hard to do the right thing for God, but, uh, but, but I, I think it's safe to say they had legalistic inklings. So dad didn't show up in church for a couple weeks, and the minister, after his son died in the fire, essentially spoke to him and said, if you hadn't fallen away, if, you'd, if you hadn't had division, your son wouldn't have died. Well, think of what that does to a young man who's just lost his child in a fire. And, and, and he thought, if that's who God is, then I don't want to serve him. That's, that's, that's what my, my dad thought. And he, and he started to fall away from that point. He started not to go to church. And they started to struggle. And those of you who may have lost a child, you know the deep, deep struggle. There's divorce that happens more uh, commonly than you'd ever know. It's very common when, when, when the loss of a loved one, a child happens, because it's such a deep, terrible pain. It's hard to navigate. It's hard to go through together. I'm just glad my parents made it through together. But dad started not to go to church, and he started to work somewhere with some guys that weren't quite right, and he knew it. But he started to make good money, and he was just in this valley of decision. And here's a story I had not heard. He said one night when he was on the road, he was traveling a lot, he thought, you know, I need to get back in church. Because it had been several months, and he went in this little town to a little white church that he had seen earlier, and he saw the lights on, and he went to their Wednesday night service. And he walked in, and they were having their annual business meeting. So he thought, well, you know, they're sharing some scripture. He sat around. And then in the annual business meeting, they started to argue. Something happened, and one got up and said something to the other, and the other one got up, and they, they, you know, and it started doing this back and forth. And my dad found it kind of humorous at one point, because it was so ridiculous what was happening, and he laughed. And the guy up front saw my dad laugh near the back and said, hey, you, this is a meeting just for our church today, and we don't know you. This meeting's not for you. You need to leave right now. So here's my dad trying to find his way back to God, and a man, supposedly a man of God, tells him to leave. My dad walked out that door and thought, all right, and didn't return to God for seven years. Fell away from the Lord. You know, when people argue and things, um, things go wrong, in the church, it hurts these little ones that are around us. Here's what it says in Mark 9.42. If anyone causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to be thrown into the sea with a large millstone tied around his neck. That same concern that a mom and dad would have not to argue in front of the kids. To be very careful about their discussions and their words and what negativity would sound like when the kids are around. We all need to have that for people that are in the body of Christ as well. We're going to have differences, but we need to settle them in an appropriate way. Because if we don't, we hurt people. And it reminds me of a bulletin blooper that I read this week. It said in the bulletin, don't let worry kill you, let the church help. (laughs) God wants us to agree, to have that agreeable spirit and to be careful with one another. And the second point in Philippians 2, we're just taking three phrases in Philippians 2.2. 2. The second one, it first one said, agree wholeheartedly with each other, and then it said, loving one another. Well, I tell you, when you love one another and you have a care and concern for one another, it makes it easier to think of that person. 
loving one another. A key characteristic of love is humility. And we see it in this passage. Humility is mentioned in, in uh, verse 3. It says, don't be selfish. And, and then it says in verses 3 and 4, be humble. Think of other as, others as better. Have the same attitude as Christ. You see, the opposite of humility is pride. That's where my ministry and my thought and what I and pride will push it sometimes without care and concern for everybody around. And when that happens, people start to get hurt. Look at our example, Jesus Christ and his humility. Philippians 2.6. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. I mean, church, the very thought that he, he came from heaven to embrace humanity was a, was, was a lowly step for the Son of God. But he did it for us because he cared, because he wanted to see us redeemed, because he wanted to see us saved and in heaven for eternity. Verse 8 says, He humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross, not only human, but crucified in a criminal's death. And therefore God elevated him to the highest place of honor and gave him the name above all other names. So here's the name above all other names who's a servant, who's humble, who's giving up himself for others. And that's, that's the one we're following. We are followers of Jesus Christ. We're not asking Jesus to follow us and make everything we do okay. We're following him and trying to become more like him. Now listen, I haven't gotten there yet, and you haven't gotten there yet, but the deal is we're supposed to strive for perfection, and he is our example. That the name of Jesus, that at the name of Jesus, verse 10, every knee should bow in heaven on an earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And Jesus is showing us how we should be, how it works. When we have differences in the church, in our homes, at work, With unbelievers, how do we work things out? God's way or our way? Watchman Nee was an author, lived many years ago in China. And he was a great man of God. He was an evangelist. And he tells a story in one of his books about a poor rice farmer. His fields lay high on a mountain and every day he pumped water into the paddies of new rice. So his own physical work, pumping water by himself up to the rice. And every morning he returned to find that a neighbor who lived down the hill had opened the dikes surrounding the Christian's field to let the water in on his own field. So he's pumping for his fields. He's, it's sending it up the mountain. It's going to go into his crops. But someone's intercepting it after he's done all the work. What do you do in situations like that? For a while, this believer ignored the injustice, but at last he became desperate because his crops were dying. And he met and prayed with the other Christian people in his community, and they came up with this solution. Here's what they did. The next day, the Christian farmer rose early in the morning and first filled his neighbor's fields with water. He pumped water for his neighbor's fields. And then he attended to his own. So what's the result when something like that happens? Watchman Nee tells how the neighbor subsequently started to ask about Christ and eventually became a Christian. 
his unbelief overcome by a genuine demonstration of a Christian's humility and Christ-like character. So the world says, fight back. God says, be humble and show them who I am. Micah 6, 8, it's one of my favorite scriptures in the Bible. No, O people, the Lord has told you what is good. So when the Bible says what is good, you want to take note of what follows immediately after. And here's what it says. This is what the Lord requires of you. To do what is right. To love mercy. Isn't it interesting that we love mercy for ourselves, but we don't always want it for everyone else. To do what is right, to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. What about our attitude towards believers who have a difference with us? That was an unbeliever in that story. My dad was a pastor in Gold Beach, Oregon about 25 years ago. And uh, he had a, a man that he loved in his church that was a young preacher that he was nurturing and trying his best to bless and the young man moved out of the church and started a church just down the street and it pulled some people out of uh, the church that my dad was in. That's really a no-no in, 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 the, you know, in the whole um, example of what churches should be. We should work together in unity. Like this thing with Kenny is unity, man. We're sending him out. We're, it's purposeful. It's God. It's good. And there's unity in it. But in this situation, uh, the guy just wanted to pull everybody he could out of the church. And, and, and my dad's response was interesting to me. Uh, a few weeks later, my dad gave him his best guitar, worth, I don't know, $800, and an amp that was worth about $600. And my dad used it to do worship and music every week, and it's all my dad had. And I'm talking to him on the phone, and he said, yeah, I felt like the Lord told me to give him those things. I said, what? I mean, I, it did not compute to me, because I wasn't thinking the way God thinks in that moment. It's never happened to you, but it happens to me sometimes. I said, Dad, are you sure you want to give him that? I mean, you don't have anything. He said, son, I felt like the Lord said that I'm supposed to give it to him and love him. I said, even after that, because he hurt the church, Dad said, well, I'm just trying to follow what the Lord is. I've been praying. I felt like the Lord said, give it to him. Well, it didn't change everything completely. That guy kept the church. But what happened is my dad loved him even though this had happened. And he loved my dad back as a result. And my dad's church was replenished in a short time. And unbelievably, somebody called him in a, uh, in a week and gave him a guitar that was worth $1,000. And uh, I called dad back and he said, I told you, son, God's good. You just have to follow him. I've been trying to do that, but it's not always that easy, is it? But when we follow God, it's best. Division hurts others. If both those churches get mad and start feuding, maybe that wasn't the best case scenario in their parting. But if they start feuding, then the whole city sees it. And nobody goes to either church. And in this case, people are getting saved at both locations. 1 Peter 3.8, finally, all of you live in harmony with one another. Be sympathetic, love as brothers, be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult, but with blessing. Because to this you are called so that you may inherit a blessing. 
See, it may not feel good to turn the other cheek in some of these settings, as the Bible says. But there's a blessing that is inherited when you do it God's way. To feel that feeling of vindication in a moment when you're angry and you say something, you can feel it for a moment, but the trouble is the residue and the rubble will follow. Feeling good in the moment and having trouble in the long run isn't really what you want, trust me. Sometimes it doesn't feel good to do the thing God calls you to do, but with it you inherit a blessing and your future is more secure than ever. John 13, 35 says, By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. I find that scripture very interesting because I would guess that people would come to Christ because we love them, that that would be the biggest and the best reason. We love them so they come to Christ. But this says, they'll know you're my disciples if you love one another. And that helps them come to Christ some way when we love each other. And we see it in this next point too. So let's move to point three, working together, work together. So we're to agree, we're to love one another But then we're to work together. All of us are considered workers and ministers in the body of Christ, right? None of us are supposed to just sit and consume. What happens to a body that never has any exercise and just consumes all the time? That never has any output but just input? It's not going to be healthy in the long haul. And it's true with you and it's true with me. We're called to be workers, not just those who receive but those who give out. Philippians 2, then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly. There's the first one with each other, loving one another, there's a second, and a third, working together with one mind and one purpose. What is the one mind and one purpose? I, uh, I'm going to venture out and say that it, we can find it in John 17, verse 20. This is Jesus praying. What's the one purpose? My prayer is not for them alone. It's talking about believers there. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That's the unbelievers. He's praying for believers and unbelievers that all of them may be one, verse 21. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Jesus is praying that we'll be one and united in his love so that all will believe. Somehow when we move together in unity and love, the world comes to Jesus in a more magnificent way. Verse 22, I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me, may they be brought to complete unity. And that's my heart for us. I don't know of any division, right? That's the coolness of just going through the scriptures is sometimes you land on unity for the church and you just preach it. So I don't know of disunity anywhere in this body, but I trust that the the enemy would be up to something to try to stop what's happening in the new day. The new horizon. Man, there's some cool things that are happening around here in the heavenlies. And we're seeing it, even with numbers that are showing up here. Lives that are being reached beyond this place. And there's more coming. And so God gives us this word to bless us and to caution us and cause us to know unity is so important. Don't let anything get in the way of unity because the unbelievers need us to show his love and be united or they're not going to come the way he wants to see them come. 
May they be brought together in complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Our purpose, what is the purpose? It's to live united in the love of Jesus so that the world will see and believe. So that we will be witnesses. We're letting our light so shine before men that they may see our good works and turn and glorify God in heaven. Unity is so important. Reaching the lost is so important. On February 10th, that was 2.10, the new, the new horizon. This place was jammed. This is just two weeks ago, and you remember if you were here. What you may not know is an unbeliever came in with a friend who had invited him, and they sat in the back because they couldn't find a seat. In the very back, in a chair back where our ushers normally would sit. And that person um, heard just a, a, a story of love and the story of, of God caring. And I don't know exactly where they were. I said unbeliever, but I actually don't know where they were. I just know they came. But here's what I want to point out to you. They were here on Sunday and they died later that week. Every time we come together, eternity's on the line. As a matter of fact, it would almost be impossible if you look at statistics that we'd have no one here who's, who's uh, maybe a better way to say it is the statistics would show us that there are several people here who have thought about suicide this week. Every time we come together, it's a matter of life and death. That interaction out there with one another, loving one another, and with these other people, loving on them, I'm telling you, this is serious, serious business. The Bible tells us that life is a vapor. It's here today. It's gone tomorrow. We all have a window. We have a time that's appointed for us to die. And and in this window, will we be able to reach them? There are people who think this is easy for me to get up here and speak and share because of a gifting God's given or a communication um, that has been developed through the years. But I'm going to tell you, I'm nervous every time I get up here. I have this sense that, that, it's, that, that there's something eternal that could happen or for good or for bad in any certain day. Someone's come in that's wondered if God is real and if we don't show them the witness, they may not return. And so I come to this pulpit, to this place to preach with the holy fear to say, God, please, Bring your anointing. Please show your love through me, through this body today to these that need Jesus Christ. I don't know where that man was. I know he got a good witness of the the Lord that day through you and hopefully through that message. But the point is, some are here today and gone tomorrow. And we need to reach them. I read this story this week. It was titled, The Pygmy Story. Story of a little teeny pygmy who was standing over a rhinoceros that he had killed. That was an odd sight to see a big violent rhinoceros under the feet of this little tiny man. And a guy walked up and saw the little pygmy standing over the rhinoceros and asked, Did you kill that? And the pygmy said, Yeah, I did. 
curious, the man asked, so how did you, such a little person, kill this huge rhinoceros? And he answered, with my club. Yep, I killed the rhinoceros with my club. The man was still thoroughly confused, and he asked, well, how big is your club? To which the pygmy replied, well, there are about a hundred of us in my club. <clears throat> so how are we going to reach him? <clears throat> with our club. Now, I don't mean exclusive, because everyone's invited. It's us. It's the witness of unity and love in the body of Christ, love for one another and love for others that walk into this place. And there's a beast that we're trying to slay too, but it's not a rhinoceros. Ephesians 6.12 says, Our fight is not against people on earth, but against the rulers and authorities and the powers of this world's darkness, against the spiritual powers of evil in the heavenly world. There is an enemy of our souls. He's the one that says, take your life. I mentioned suicide a moment ago. And let me, let me just say this. Anytime you hear the voice, a voice that says, take your life, it's not the voice of Christ. It's probably not even your voice. It might not even be your thought because the Bible says, take thought captive. We know that, that the enemy tried to interject that thought for Jesus to take his life. Throw yourself down and God will raise you up. That wasn't even the thought of Jesus Christ. It was the enemy's thought zinging into to his head. And he, he took that thought captive and spoke the word of God and rebuked him and the enemy went away. What I want you to know, if you're feeling like life is worthless, is Jesus has come to give you life and give it abundantly. That's what it says in John 10.10. 10, the thief comes to steal, to kill. He's the one who speaks death. It's him every time when he speaks death. But God came to give life and give it abundantly. And I just want to encourage you to just lean on Jesus Christ. Give your heart completely to him. And church, I want us to be careful that we're not sidetracked by battling one another. We need to fight the good fight to win souls. It's not against flesh and blood that we fight, but against principalities and powers of darkness that are trying to keep the souls of mankind from coming to Jesus Christ. How do we block him? We block him when we love Jesus with all of our hearts, when we love one another, when we have agreeable spirits and we work together for the cause of Christ to see people come to him. Romans 15.5 says this, May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you a spirit of unity among yourselves as you follow Christ Jesus. So that with one heart and mouth you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. 